Good morning, friends. Today I'm going to continue to teach on the victory that we have even in the midst of defeat. Sometimes we look, we think of our lives as if we are not in victory. But what about the victory that there is in Jesus Christ? I would like to welcome everybody that is slotting into this broadcast of Dynamic Love Ministries. It's an honor for me to serve you with the good news of Jesus, the good news of the grace of God that is sufficient for us, that can empower us, that can give us joy in 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 this world by his doing. Glory to God. Let us just pray together as we start our service. Father, thank you so much that we can be together. Thank you for your good news, your power, your grace, that which you have brought us through your death and resurrection. Thank you that you are the one that gives life and that we can simply rest in you. Thank you that you have you've had us in mind from before the world began. And you've come to give us life. Amen and amen. <laughs> Today I'm going to basically just re-preach last Sunday's message. But I'm just going to use a little bit more scripture and just emphasize the points a little bit more. I just realized that the message that I've preached last Sunday is of such a great importance for everybody today. Many people go through difficult times or where they seem to be not successful as a Christian. Like for instance, people that have been confessing that the Lord Jesus protects them against the COVID and then they get COVID and become very ill, sometimes more ill than the person that doesn't even believe in the Lord. And how do you deal with something like that? How do you handle that? Or what about you spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel, and all of a sudden, yeah, the COVID comes and your church closes down, and now you, you're working for a salary somewhere, and what about those things? There are things that happen to us in this world. Businesses, you start a business, you, it's going well, COVID comes. All of a sudden, your business is suffering. People starting Christians, starting to suffer from depression. Those kind of things. Why? Wh what should we make of these things when we go through difficult times? How should we look at these things? And I'm going to point out to you that Jesus Christ himself was at a place where he felt that what he has done was not successful. It, he did not successfully gather the Israelites or Israel while he was walking on the earth he wanted to gather them he wanted to do the will of god the will of god was abs absolutely to gather them but they didn't want to and they couldn't be gathered and how did he deal with that we're also going to look at jesus when he was in the desert we're just going to quote that we're not going to read on that but just look at when he was in the desert how we handled the temptation of the devil we're going to look at the septuagint uh looking at the the, the greek uh, Old Testament and what was said there and how the gathering of Israel took place there. And then we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. What happened in his life? I mean, he also was at a place where he quoted uh, Psalm 49 and in his relationship with the people in Galatia where he was saying to them, I'm afraid that I've labored in vain as pertaining to you. The very words that Jesus used um, in in Isaiah. Now you might say, "Bethy, Jesus never used those words. Uh, he didn't. It is not recorded that he used those words." But Isaiah is a prophet, and it prophesied about a conversation between Jesus and the Father. 
And this conversation, maybe the exact words weren't used, but that is what was being said. And what is beautiful about reading the Old Testament, and I want to encourage you to read the Old Testament that way, is especially in the prophets, Isaiah 49, 1 onwards, Psalm 40 is also a very good example of that, is where the Father and the Son are in communication. Psalm 22 is a very good example about the crucifixion, what Jesus would have said upon the cross, what was in his mind. Words that were not recorded, but which we know was spoken in the heart of Jesus to the Father and what the Father would say to Jesus. It's as if we from the Old Testament get a little bit of a glimpse on what was going on in the prayer life of Jesus, as if we can look right into uh, the, the, the heart of Jesus, what he would have said. We also need to understand that the the, the New Testament people, uh, like the Apostle Paul, uh, like Peter, especially Paul and Jesus, people that were learned in the Old Testament scriptures, they prayed the scriptures, they lived the scriptures, they they were they saw that they made those scriptures applicable to themselves. That when Jesus would read Isaiah 42, he would know that the Father speaks to him. Now I want to I want us to start out in Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. I'm going to start out in Isaiah 42. Didn't plan to do it that way, but let us just do it that way. Two Sundays ago, I ministered on this. And I want to just use this as an example. This is the Father saying. Now, it is Isaiah prophesying. But it is the Father speaking. He says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets, meaning it's not going to be a political rally. A bruised reed will he not break, a, smoke, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not fail or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. So we can see here that this is um, the Father speaking to us. What would be good in our prayer lives is to memorize that piece. Think of it, ponder upon it, and hear the Father saying it to you. In the very same way as when we would look at that passage and hear the Father speak to us today, Jesus would look at that passage and he would see the Father speaking to us with him present, where the Father presents the Son to us. He would also read that and see that he shall not falter nor be discouraged till he establishes justice in the earth. And that would be, um, would be a great encouragement for Jesus, knowing that the Father says that he is not going to fail. Uh, it also, if you read the next verse there, it says, uh, in his teaching the islands will put their hope. Jesus would know that the islands is referring to the Gentiles, and he knows that he would have a doctrine, and this doctrine is what these people would trust in. This is what the Lord God says, the creator of heaven, who stretches them out, who spreads the earth with all the, I mean, it is just, you can just read the Father speaking to us. 
We see it in its historic context. We see it in its prophetic context. And we see it as a conversation. That's how the Old Testament people that were serious about the scriptures thought of scripture. It, be, it, it became theirs. It was their conversation with God. Now, with that point made, we're going to Isaiah 49, and we're going to see how this is a conversation between Jesus and God. It starts off this way again. He says, listen to me. This is basically Jesus speaking. He says, listen to me, islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. This is, imagine now Jesus reading Isaiah 49 when he was on the earth. He would know that his job would be not only for Israel, but also to gather the heathen. To gather the all nations. And now he's speaking to me and you. And he's saying, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was, I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. Now we know the history with Mary and all those kind of things. Now imagine Jesus reading that, knowing that Mary told him that he is, um, he, he, he is uh, the father is his father. God is his father. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. So what does Jesus believe? Jesus believed that he is Israel. Jesus believes that he is Israel. That's what he believes. And he believes that uh, in him all the glory of God will be displayed. Now listen to what the next verse says. This is now uh, Jesus speaking to us, telling us what the Father said to him, and now what his response was to the Father. He then says, But I said, I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. I want to read this just from the, uh, from the King James. Here. It says, Then I said, I labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing, and in vain. And now the Lord said to me, the one that formed me in my mother's womb, to bring Jacob to him again. And this is what he says, Though Israel be not gathered, you shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? So here we see Isaiah 49. Jesus speaking to the people say, God has called me. Listen to me. He says, God has called me. I am his servant Israel. And then he says, when he called me as his servant Israel, I went to gather Jacob, went to gather the Israelites. Although I am Israel in the eyes of God, he's called me to gather the Israelites, but they didn't want to. 
And I, my words were that I've labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and it is in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with God. Now let me read it from the Afrikaans and translate it for you. I'm going to just do the direct translation without reading the Afrikaans. I'm going to try to do it that way. He says, God said to me that you are my servant. You are Israel. And through you I will show my glory. But I was thinking in my mind that I've wasted my strength and that I am fruitless in all my efforts. Yet, what will be of me will be decided by God. Now, <laughs> what a powerful passage. So what Jesus is saying is, is that he is trying, or he tried to gather Israel, the physical Jews. But they didn't want to. They didn't listen to Jesus. They rejected him. And we're going to look at those scriptures today. They rejected him. But what did Jesus say? He said, although I am not successful and it feels like an absolute waste of time, my judgment or what will be of me is in front of God. So what he was saying was that his success was not determined in how successfully he, according to his understanding of gathering Israel, when he walked the face of the earth, uh, that his, his success was not measured by that. He knew that he did not have the ability. He came to the end of himself, Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that he didn't have the ability to gather the Jews. He didn't. He wanted to. He says, I wanted to gather you. And Jesus says, whatever you see me do is what the Father does. So was it the will of God that Israel be gathered while Jesus was walking on the face of the earth? Yes, it was the will of God. It was the will of God that, that they would be gathered. It was that they would... How would they be gathered? That they would believe upon him. That they would believe upon him. That when the man, Judas, came and denied him, uh, you know, or betrayed him, and the, the other people came, and the, 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 the Romans, and killed him, that he would still have a united Israel that believed upon him, that would believe in his resurrection and be powerfully touched and not, and not reject Christ. It was not the will of the Father that the Jews would reject Jesus. But here we find that Jesus wanted to do the will of the Father, and he came to gather Israel, but Israel did not want to. And when he talks about Israel there, he talks about the individuals. He talks about the, the people that walked the earth there, on, on the earth there. They didn't want to. And we can read this frustration in Jesus. We can read what was going on in his heart here. He felt that he was basically a burden to those people with his message. That he was burdening them because they were rejecting him all the time. This is what it says in Matthew 17, 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? So Jesus is basically, if you read Isaiah 49, he's speaking to us, he's speaking to the Gentiles, and he's saying, listen islands, listen Gentiles, I am the one that 
that the father spoke spoke about in my mother's womb he's already called me he has called me and he wanted me to gather Jacob and uh, although Jacob was not gathered and I felt that I've wasted my strength in gathering Jacob and that I felt that it was simply for nothing my ju justice and my judgment is with God it is with God and although Israel will not be gathered let me tell you this it is a small thing for God if you read the rest of Isaiah 49 just to gather Israel I am there for you you now be gathered you now be gathered so was there a time when Jesus felt that he wasn't successful I bet there was definitely so when Jesus read Isaiah 49 I cannot but think that he was not, when he was reading this, thinking, well, this is actually me saying these words. This is how I should, should interpret this prophetically. And then he would also then have to realize, as he was reading that, that these Jews are not going to want to be gathered. They're not going to want to be gathered. We're reading uh, Matthew 23:37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that killed the prophets. Actually says, killest. You that are killing, actively killing the prophets, and stone them which are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you didn't want to. John 1.10 He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not hmm. Romans ten twenty one. but to Israel he says all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and a gainsaying people why does he stretch forth the hand as a prophetic action no he genuinely truly wanted to gather the people of that day they just simply didn't want to and as they didn't want to want to do that this is the words that was in Jesus Jesus said and I said I've labored in vain I've spent my strength for nothing and it is in vain yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work is with my God I'm not successful in gathering them but my life is not determined by how successful I gather these people this is a key for all of us we can take this and practically apply it to raising our children. Let's make this very practical. You raise your kids. As you raise your kids, you find, you know, let's say you've got five children. One of them believes in the Lord. The other one doesn't. One may be of them on drugs. The other one is obedient. You might raise your children in the ways of the Lord you now believe the grace message you try to convey the grace message but they stay in the law that you've preached to them uh, when they was in school and they're now they're thinking that you there's something wrong in your mind and you are not successful in uh, teaching your children the grace message you want to gather them but they don't want to and you can come to a place where you look at raising your kids and you are saying, man, uh, all the effort that I've made in teaching them the gospel, I wonder if it's not in vain.
I think that is how God must have felt with Adam and Eve. He could easily have felt that. Imagine the Almighty God looked at Adam and Eve and he says, Ah, you know, my labor is in vain and my strength was for nothing. It was all in vain. It was just useless. And therefore my judgment is now with what I could accomplish in Adam and Eve. No, God had Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was disobedient. Obedient. Adam and Eve did not grab a hold of the life that was offered them. Adam and Eve died, but God's judgment, who God is, was not defined in what he could accomplish in Adam and Eve. It was inside himself. He lives in the solitude of himself. He's got eternal life. His judgment is in eternal life, not in what is accomplished in people. In the very same way, you know, God could have felt like a failure when it comes to Israel, even when he led them out, of, out in the wilderness. Moses, I mean, he looked at Israel and he could have said, I am not a success. These people are not listening. Did God send Moses? Yes. Did Moses speak for God? Yes. Was Moses successful? with a bunch of people that he led out? No, he was 100% unsuccessful because the Bible says that none of that generation entered into the promised land. But it was the will of the Father that they would enter into, into that. So Moses could have said, I've wasted my strength, I've wasted everything, but Moses' judgment before God is not in what he could accomplish by the power of God, but in the promise God has towards him as an individual. There's a difference between you as an individual before God and your vocation. You are not what you do. God has promised me, Bertie Brits, he's promised me eternal life by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as I believe upon him. I just trust him. He'll do it. That, that is how I get saved. That's how I will have life. I might preach and think sometimes, you know, in ministry you think, wow, this is truly successful. And this is truly reaching a lot of people and you're very happy. Other times you look and you say, well... I don't know, you know, like, uh, you know, you preached there only once and then there was an argument with the pastor and, and he just warned the people against you and now people are scared. You know, th that also happens. But the success there has got nothing to do with what God has promised me. It's got nothing to do with that. It's, if I tell my son, Aubrey, I would like for you to go and, um, w would you please go and call so-and-so for me? And then he goes, he calls so-and-so, and he makes great effort to tell that person. I mean, he, he really struggles to find the guy, eventually he finds the guy, takes him half a day, hard work, hard labor to get hold of this guy. He gets a hold of him, he tells him that I'm calling him. Now the guy doesn't come. Then he can think, oh my goodness, I've wasted my time, I've wasted my energy, I am not, you know, I have not been successful in my mission because I know my father wanted this person to contact him, now this guy doesn't do it, he doesn't come to see my father and so forth. But my son's justice in being an heir has got nothing to do with his success when he called that man. And this is the truth that Jesus Christ lived from. 
And this brought Jesus to a place where his circumstances didn't really have a voice that could discourage him unto the rejection of what God is saying because he wasn't adding anything to the grace that the Father has promised him. Grace, uh, the word grace means a divine influence or the power of God unto life. So the Bible also says that Jesus Christ grew in the grace of God, meaning that Jesus needed grace. Jesus couldn't be who he was without the grace of God. And the grace of God towards Jesus, in order for Jesus to be who he is today, was that God promised Jesus that he would influence his physical body with life and gather Jesus unto himself. Unto eternal life. He'll gather Jesus bodily unto himself, unto eternal life. And Jesus would be in the very same condition where the Father finds himself in eternal life. So when Jesus went to the Father, it means he went into eternal immortality bodily. And as he's seated there, he prepares a place in who he is for us to be where the Father is, which is to have eternal life. Now, Jesus didn't add to the grace that the Father gave him. So, when he looked at Israel that would not be gathered, he knew that he would be gathered. When he tried to gather Israel unto eternal life, the individuals that didn't want to believe him, he did not confuse, he did not say, well, Father, can you empower me more so that these people will listen. He did, Jesus did not say, please remove the thorn in my flesh, which is these people that are bad-mouthing me, lying, and all those kind of things. He did not pray that prayer. He didn't ask for that. He did not say, uh, stop these people that are breaking down the work that I'm doing so that I can be successful in the world. For he knew that the grace of the Father for him was enough to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, which is for him to be a light unto the Gentiles. Plus, the promise of gathering Israel was also fulfilled because Jesus was called Israel. So when Jesus was gathered unto the Father in his resurrection, the promise that God had towards Israel, that he would gather Israel, was fulfilled in the one man, Jesus. The individuals weren't gathered because they had to believe. But the truth that Israel would be gathered, that was so. So, let us read that again. Might sound a little bit confusing, but let me wrap this up and, and put it together. Jesus never was at the place where he said that I need to be successful in gathering Jacob, gathering the physical Jews when he was walking on the earth to follow in him, to be following him. He never thought that that would determine God's judgment on him, meaning he never thought that he could find life out of that. He wanted to gather them. He even wept when he wanted to gather them, as they saw that they didn't that they didn't want to be gathered. They were again saying, "People, all day God was stretching out there His hand." He even, uh, with tears in his eyes, proclaimed the woes in Matthew over them. Matthew twenty-three. Uh, uh, Woe is woe are you, and he just declared that they will be cursed and all those kind of things because he knew the destruction that was coming their way in 70 AD. They didn't want to listen. But Jesus, although he said, I've wasted my time with these people, 
He still said, my justice is with God. My judgment is with God. Okay, I want us to, um, with that in mind, want to quickly go and look at the Apostle Paul and Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. It says here in uh, 12 verse 5, Of such a one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my own infirmities. So he says, I will glory in my infirmities. Where does he get this? Where does he get this idea of glorying in his infirmities, talking about his own inability? I'm sure he's getting this from Isaiah 49 where Jesus was basically saying that he himself was weak. He himself did not have the ability to gather Israel, but that his strength is in the Father that can raise him from the dead. This is what I think. Uh, I also want to read in the Septuagint. We'll do that. He says, For though... Um, Let's read verse 5 again. Of such a one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be, or that which he hears of me. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. So many times we think that God has given this. Paul says, no, I willfully by my myself and just uh, boasting in my weaknesses because it's not about my own strength at all and Paul knew his own weaknesses but then he says and lest he should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh now the way this works is like it would work in politics today you would see that somebody is maybe advancing and is doing well then the the other political party would then find somebody to go and look for faults in a person's life or to make life difficult for him that he will not advance too much I see that with political parties whenever they come to the rise. In the beginning, it, they grow quickly because they find people to follow them. But the moment they really start to make an impact, you find the other political parties giving them thorns in the flesh. They make life difficult for them. They attack them. They sue them. They make life very difficult for them. And this is what Paul was talking about. He was talking about somebody that was a thorn in the flesh, which basically talked about somebody spreading lies about Paul and uh, I believe it was some of his kinsmen some of his own people Jews that went and preached Judaism he, they Judaized the churches where wherever he would preach so that because of the revelations that he had because of his understanding of the gospel that he should not grow exceedingly and have a massive impact let's read it again and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. This is not about pride in Paul's heart. That's not what it was about. This was all about him becoming too big, his ministry growing too much. There was given unto him a thorn in the flesh that he should not ex be exalted or that he would grow above measure. They tried to control him. 
through false teachers that came, a messenger from the devil, people that would speak bad, buffeting Paul, making life just very, very difficult for him. And then he goes on, he says here, <clears throat> let me read verse 7 again. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. doesn't say God did this. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. A messenger of Satan. God doesn't send. It clearly says the messenger was of Satan. doesn't say it was of of God. Satan means the accuser. So they were, they were messengers coming from the accuser, accusing Paul, saying he's a false person. He does not say what the Israelites or the, or, or the true church is saying in Jerusalem and so forth. You can go and study all of that out in Galatians, Ephesians and so forth and Acts 15. So, lest I should be exalted above measure, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My goodness. So Paul was looking at his ministry, and he was seeing that it is going well. And then he said, God, it's going well here. We want to be strong in the earth. Let us be strong. Let this person that is, this false messengers, remove them. Let them even be cut off. Let them be destroyed so that the church can advance. And then he said to Paul, Paul, you're not going to be strong by how strong the church is. My grace is sufficient to manifest in you whatever I wanted to manifest in you. And look at what God did in Paul. Paul, number one, has got eternal life. Paul will be raised in the last day and look at the effect that God had through that man Paul in all the earth. Although Paul, when he was in the earth, didn't have many followers, he was seen as an absolute troublemaker. He was too hot to handle. He was in courts most of his life, man. He was in court, he, he was in court for years fighting cases. At the end of his life, the way I read the scriptures, it could be different. Somebody can have a different opinion on this. But the way I see it is that he went to Rome in defense of himself. He stayed there in house arrest. That's where he was. And then from there, he was he preached a bit in small groups, or, or I would say large groups in his house. Large group in his house was when a large group started to become 15 and 20 people, when that is your large, because that's what you can fit, fit in a house that you're renting. And from there he was beheaded. I mean, doesn't sound nice. Doesn't sound successful. He didn't uh, go out like uh, Reinhard Bonnke did or Billy Graham or some of these evangelists, um, you know, people that has got great big ministries and uh, uh, Kenneth Hagen and those people. No. He, but the grace of God was enough to establish in him what he wanted to establish my grace is sufficient for you you don't have to you, you can acknowledge your weakness you can acknowledge what you couldn't get right that's why he goes and he he basically mentions uh, all, all of his in, infirmities you know that he was beaten and he was this you he never says how successful he was same with Jesus 
Same with Jesus. He didn't go about boasting on how many people followed him or any of those kind of things. He simply believed that what the Father said is what he would have life from. I want to quickly go to the Septuagint and uh, read what it says there. Going back to um, to Jesus, and then we're going to end off uh, this message with just the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. This is the Septuagint. It says it this way. It says, And now this is the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to gather Jacob to him and to Israel. Now remember the verse prior to that, he, he, he said, I have labored in vain. Jesus says to the Father, I've labored in vain. I've given my strength for vanity and for nothing. Therefore, my judgment is with you, God, and my labor is with you, God. I've come to gather Israel. Then God says, the God that formed me in my mother's womb, this is what he says, I formed him in the womb to be my servant and to gather Jacob to me and to other, gather Israel to me. I will gather you. I shall gather you, and you will be glorified before me, and I will be your strength. So what is he saying? The Father is saying, yes, maybe you were weak in gathering Israel, in physically getting them to follow you. But let me tell you, I've made you as Israel, and I will gather you unto me and in that weakness of yours my strength is made perfect when i raise you from the dead because when jesus was raised from the dead he in him there is no more jew no more gentile and in him is the way for jew and gentile unto the father wherein they can be gathered unto life so israel his servant was gathered as the Father has promised, and Israel was basically gathered unto the Father in a different way. Jesus came to gather the Jews, but he was called Israel. And Jesus said, Father, I've wasted my time to gather these people. But the Father says, but I will gather you, Israel. You shall be gathered unto me. And he raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And before he went, he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And I will take you to where I am. I'll gather you unto the Father. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? So this means that we don't have to try and listen to the voice of the successes we have in this world. Yes, will we be successful in this world? Obviously, we will be very successful in many things in this world. We've seen Jesus feed the 5,000. We've seen him uh, uh, preach to the multitudes. We've seen the Apostle Paul reach many people. We have seen the church do great exploits. We, we're not denying that. That is not normally when we have our problem. Our problem is when things seem not to work out. Now, Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to just go to Galatians Excuse me, not Galatians. Galatians 4.11, I just can quote it quickly. Paul says to the Galatians, It seems to me as if I've labored for you in vain. Quoting that very verse that, I am, uh, that I've mentioned. I want to go to Galatians 1 verse 6. Listen to this. It 
It says, I marvel that you are so soon moved away from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. This is now the thorn in the flesh and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, but I'm using my own words, but the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that through him you have, you have enough grace to live forever. But though we or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which was preached unto you, let him be accursed. As I've said before, so I say again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that which you have received from us, let him be accursed. That is what he is saying there. You know, there's only one gospel. What is this gospel? This gospel is the comfort that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is it, Isaiah 41. Comfort, comfort my people. Comfort also means to bring repentance. Repent my people, get their mind to change. Speak the comfort or speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received double of the blessings from the hand of the Lord for all her sins. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? You know, Paul changed his name uh, from Saul to Paul. And there are many different theories about that, of which um, two stand out to me. The one is that uh, the word Saul was uh, royal. It was kingly, you know, Saul itself, Saul himself, the king in Israel history. Uh, And Paul means, uh, according to N.T. Wright, he says, it means little one. So he said, well, maybe I was great. I was a great persecutor of the church. I was great in my own eyes. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was very zealous. He was above those around him called Saul. And then he says, well, I realize that in my own power I am nothing and that everything only determines on him and that I can only rest in the grace of God and that I don't have to live by my own works, calls himself Paul. Another thing is that the word Paul uh, or the word uh, Saul, Saulos, if I got it right in the Greek, means somebody that uh, that walks um, like a lady. (laughs) Something like that. So that could also have been that he said, well, I don't want to have that mockery there and, um, you know, I'll rather take the name, name Paul, which means little one. Personally, I think that It was about Saul saying, I'm not going to boast. I'm finding my identity only in the word of Jesus about me and not my own works. Where I can, like Jesus, say, my works, maybe if it doesn't, it looks as if I've wasted my time, my right and my justice is before God. And then we will know who will gather me unto him and he will accomplish in my life what he has promised, even if it is after my death. We shall be raised 
unto eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that is why today, as the church, we don't have to feel like failures. We don't have to feel that we're not accomplishing what we're supposed to accomplish and walk in condemnation and guilt and all those kind of things. No, our righteousness is with our God. Let us trust him. Let us live our lives fully and not give our lives the voice of uh, the, the voice to confirm us or to tell us that we are not successful. We can boldly say, it looks as if we've wasted our time, but we're saying that. We can boldly say, it looks as if we are successful. We can say those things boldly, but we can say it from a heart that knows we are justified by the love of God and not in what we do. Thank you that I could encourage you with this message today. We will chat again then in this week. God bless.